section thirteen of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six continued three the artistic period of the drama the artistic is the final stage in the development of the english drama it differs radically from the other two in that its chief purpose is not to point a moral but to represent human life as it is the artistic drama may have purpose no less than the miracle play but the motive is always subordinate to the chief end of representing life itself the first comedy the first true play in english with a regular plot divided into acts and scenes is probably the comedy ralph royster doister it was written by nicholas udall master of eton and later of westminster school and was first acted by his schoolboys some time before fifteen fifty six the story is that of a conceited fop in love with a widow who is already engaged to another man the play is an adaptation of the milus gloriosus a classic comedy by plautus and the english characters are more or less artificial but as furnishing a model of a clear plot and natural dialogue the influence of this first comedy with its mixture of classic and english elements can hardly be overestimated the next play gammer girton's needle circa fifteen sixty two is a domestic comedy a true bit of english realism representing the life of the peasant class gammer girton is patching the leather breeches of her man hodge when gib the cat gets into the milk-pan while gammer chases the cat the family needle is lost a veritable calamity in those days the whole household is turned upside down and the neighbors are dragged into the affair various comical situations are brought about by deacon a thieving vagabond who tells gammer that her neighbor dame chat has taken her needle and who then hurries to tell dame chat that she is accused by gammer of stealing a favorite rooster naturally there is a terrible row when the two irate old women meet and misunderstand each other deacon also drags dr rat the curate into the quarrel by telling him that if he will but creep into dame chat's cottage by a hidden way he will find her using the stolen needle then deacon secretly warns dame chat that gammer girton's man hodge is coming to steal her chickens and the old woman hides in the dark passage and cudgels the curate soundly with the door bar all the parties are finally brought before the justice when hodge suddenly and painfully finds the lost needle which is all the while stuck in his leather breeches and the scene ends uproariously for both audience and actors this first wholly english comedy is full of fun and coarse humor and is wonderfully true to the life it represents it was long attributed to john still afterwards bishop of bath but the authorship is now definitely assigned to william stevenson note shelling elizabethan drama end of note our earliest edition of the play was printed in fifteen seventy five but a similar play called deacon of bedlam was licensed in fifteen fifty two twelve years before shakespeare's birth 
to show the spirit and the metrical form of the play we give a fragment of the boy's description of the dullard hodge trying to light a fire in the hearth from the cat's eyes and another fragment of the old drinking song at the beginning of the second act at last in a dark corner two sparks he thought he sees which were indeed not else but give our cats two eyes poof quod hodge thinking thereby to have fire without doubt with that gib shut our two eyes and so the fire was out and by and by them opened even as they were before and with that the sparks appeared even as they had done of yore and even as hodge blew the fire as he did think gib as she felt the blast straightway began to wink till hodge fell of swearing as he came best to his turn the fire was sure bewitched and therefore will not burn at last gib up the stairs among the old posts and pins and hodge he hide him after till broke were both his shins cursing and swearing of us were never of his making that gib would fire the house if that she were not taken fierce a song back and side go bar go bar both foot and hand go colder but belly god send thee good ale enough whether it be new or old i cannot eat but little meat my stomach is not good but sure i think that i can drink with him that wears a hood though i go bar take ye no care i am nothing a cold i stuff my skin so full within of jolly good ale and old uh, back and side go bare etc the first tragedy our first tragedy gorboduc was written by thomas sackville and thomas norton it was acted in fifteen sixty two only two years before the birth of shakespeare it is remarkable not only as our first tragedy but as the first play to be written in blank verse the latter being most significant since it started the drama into the style of verse best suited to the genius of english playwrights the story of gorboduc is taken from the early annals of britain and recalls the story used by shakespeare in king lear gorboduc king of britain divides his kingdom between his sons ferex and porex the sons quarrel and porex the younger slays his brother who is the queen's favorite videna the queen slays porex in revenge the people rebel and slay videna and gorboduc then the nobles kill the rebels and in turn fall to fighting each other the line of brutus being extinct with the death of gorboduc the country falls into anarchy with rebels nobles and a scottish invader all fighting for the right of succession the curtain falls upon a scene of bloodshed and utter confusion the artistic finish of this first tragedy is marred by the author's evident purpose to persuade elizabeth to marry it aims to show the danger to which england is exposed by the uncertainty of succession otherwise the plan of the play follows the classic rule of seneca there is very little action on the stage bloodshed and battle are announced by a messenger and the chorus of four old men of britain sums up the situation with a few moral observations at the end of each of the first four acts 
classical influence upon the drama the revival of latin literature had a decided influence upon the english drama as it developed from the miracle plays in the fifteenth century english teachers in order to increase the interest in latin began to let their boys act the plays which they had read as literature precisely as our colleges now present greek or german plays at the yearly festivals seneca was the favorite latin author and all his tragedies were translated into english between fifteen fifty nine and fifteen eighty one this was the exact period in which the first english playwrights were shaping their own ideas but the severe simplicity of the classical drama seemed at first only to hamper the exuberant english spirit to understand this one has only to compare a tragedy of seneca or of euripides with one of shakespeare and see how widely the two masters differ in methods dramatic unities in the classic play the so-called dramatic unities of time place and action were strictly observed time and place must remain the same the play could represent a period of only a few hours and whatever action was introduced must take place at the spot where the play began the characters therefore must remain unchanged throughout there was no possibility of the child becoming a man or of the man's growth with changing circumstances as the play was within doors all vigorous action was deemed out of place on the stage and battles and important events were simply announced by a messenger the classic drama also drew a sharp line between tragedy and comedy all fun being rigorously excluded from serious representations the english drama on the other hand strove to represent the whole sweep of life in a single play the scene changed rapidly the same actors appeared now at home now at court now on the battlefield and vigorous action filled the stage before the eyes of the spectators the child of one act appeared as a man of the next and the imagination of the spectator was called upon to bridge the gaps from place to place from year to year year so the dramatist had free scope to present all life in a single place and a single hour moreover since the world is always laughing and always crying at the same moment tragedy and comedy were presented side by side as they are in life itself as hamlet sings after the play that amused the court but struck the king with deadly fear why let the stricken deer go weep the heart ungalled play for some must watch while some must sleep so runs the world away two schools of drama naturally with these two ideals struggling to master the english drama two schools of writers arose the university two schools wits as men of learning were called generally of drama upheld the classical ideal and ridiculed the crudeness of the new english plays sackville and norton were of this class and gorboduc was classic in its construction in the defense of poesy sidney upholds the classics and ridicules the too ambitious scope of the english drama 
against these were the popular playwrights lilly peel green marlowe and many others who recognized the english love of action and disregarded the dramatic unities in their endeavor to present life as it is in the end the native drama prevailed aided by the popular taste which had been trained by four centuries of miracles our first plays especially of the romantic type were extremely crude and often led to ridiculously extravagant scenes and here is where the classic drama exercised an immense influence for good by insisting upon beauty of form and definiteness of structure at a time when the tendency was to satisfy a taste for stage spectacles without regard to either the theater in the year fifteen seventy four a royal permit to lord leicester's actors allowed them to give plays anywhere throughout our realm of england and this must be regarded as the beginning of the regular drama two years later the first playhouse known as the theatre was built for these actors by james burbage in finsbury fields just north of london it was in this theatre that shakespeare probably found employment when he first came to the city the success of this venture was immediate and the next thirty years saw a score of theatrical companies at least seven regular theatres and a dozen or more inn-yards permanently fitted for the giving of plays all established in the city and its immediate suburbs the growth seems all the more remarkable when we remember that the london of those days would now be considered a small city having in sixteen hundred only about a hundred thousand inhabitants a dutch traveller johannes de witt who visited london in fifteen ninety six has given us the only contemporary drawing we possess of the interior of one of these theatres they were built of stone and wood round or octagonal in shape and without a roof being simply an enclosed courtyard at one side was the stage and before it on the bare ground or pit stood that large part of the audience who could afford to pay only an admission fee the players and these groundlings were exposed to the weather those that paid for seats were in galleries sheltered by a narrow porch roof projecting inwards from the encircling walls while the young nobles and gallants who came to be seen and who could afford the extra fee took seats on the stage itself and smoked and chafed the actors and threw nuts at the groundlings note that these gallants were an unmitigated nuisance and had frequently to be silenced by the common people who came to enjoy the play seems certain decker's gull's hornbook sixteen o nine has an interesting chapter on how a gallant should behave himself in a playhouse End of note the whole idea of these first theaters according to de witt was like that of the roman amphitheater and the resemblance was heightened by the fact that when no play was on the boards the stage might be taken away and the pit given over to bull and bear baiting the stage 
in all these theaters probably the stage consisted of a bare platform with a curtain or traverse across the middle separating the front from the rear stage on the latter unexpected scenes or characters were discovered by simply drawing the curtain aside at first little or no scenery was used a gilded sign being the only announcement of a change of scene and this very lack of scenery led to better acting since the actors must be realistic enough to make the audience forget its shabby surroundings by shakespeare's day however painted scenery had appeared first at university plays and then in the regular theaters note shelling elizabethan drama End of note. In all our first plays, female parts were taken by boy actors, who evidently were more distressing than the crude scenery, for contemporary literature has many satirical references to their acting. Note. Baker, in his Development of Shakespeare as a Dramatist, takes a different view and shows how carefully many of the boy actors were trained it would require however a vigorous use of the imagination to be satisfied with a boy's presentation of portia juliet cordelia rosalind or any other of shakespeare's wonderful women End of note. and even the tolerant shakespeare writes some squeaking cleopatra boy my greatness however that may be the stage was deemed unfit for women and actresses were unknown in england until after the restoration End of section thirteen.